third week of Zechariah. We are in Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah, if you go to Matthew, if you find Matthew, and turn back just to the Old Testament. Zechariah is the last book of the Old Testament. And this morning we'll be in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 16 through... Yeah, is it next to last? Oh, Malachi's last. See, look, I've been, I've been saying that wrong for weeks, and I just finally got corrected. Two back. But if you do that, you'll still get pretty close to it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's the intent. Um, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 16 uh, through 21. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion, and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who walked, who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. As parents, if you are a parent, uh, you often make deals with your children in the form of promises. If you eat your dinner, I will give you dessert. If you clean your room, then you can go out and play. If you stop being disrespectful, then I'll stop spanking you. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) In Zechariah, we've seen this repetitive theme, and we're going to continue to see it. Return to me, and I will return to you. Over and over again, God has expressed to the people that he is willing to return to them. And he says, you may always return to me, no matter what. If there's something you think has happened that God can't make right, that's simply not true. We're wrong. And to show us this, to show uh, Israel this, Judah, Jerusalem this, he gives them five promises If you return to me, then I'm going to do these five things. So this is what we're going to consider today. These five promises that he gives to Israel, we'll see them in three points. First, we're going to see the mercy of the Lord. Second, we're going to see the promises of the Lord. And third and finally, we'll see the protection of the Lord. The mercy, the promise, the protection. We begin by looking at the mercy of the Lord. The first promise we see here, if you return to me, the first promise is then I 
will show mercy to you. Verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. He will show mercy to them. We have to understand something about mercy and how we view mercy in light of God. Without mercy, the only thing that we receive from God is the wrath of God. Before anything else can take place, before any blessing can be applied to the believer, we must receive mercy. And as we receive that mercy, we see that we see an end I said see too many times there. We see that we see. Uh, We see an end to the judgment of sin. So that those who then are in Christ, who have received his mercy, no longer uh, continue to practice this sin. Uh, We saw this when we looked through 1 John on Wednesday nights. It's not that we no longer sin, but it's that we're no longer ruled by that sin. We're no longer slaves to that sin. New, not, excuse me, new life in God begins with compassion, with forgiveness, with mercy. As we turn from sin and we turn to God, we step then into his merciful arms. Paul t- says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21 of this mercy for our sake He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How does he give this mercy to us? Is it upon our own strength? No. It's not upon our own strength. We are not the one who lays hold of that mercy. The only foundation upon which This mercy comes is Christ, and it flows out of his merciful love. He has promised that those who return to him will indeed receive mercy. And as we receive mercy, we receive something else. It's the second promise here. My house shall be built in it, that is, Jerusalem. It would be easy for us to overlook this. We don't really concern ourselves with the temple, right? The temple is not something that matters to us today. The temple is gone. Uh, We no longer need it for its sacrificial, uh, all the stuff that goes with the sacrificial system. But the temple meant so much more. The temple was the place where God's presence dwelt. He says, when I return to you with mercy, I also return to you with my spirit. My spirit then will dwell in you. This is the promise, the second promise that he gives to us. Paul, once again, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. The same promise is true for us. That was true for for the Judah in the time of Zechariah. It's the same promise for us. As we become Christians, we gain exactly what we need. 
power from God for a new and holy life. And he communicates that through his spirit dwelling within us. His spirit dwelling and working in us. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The spirit does many things for us. He leads us. He illuminates the word of God to us. He renews our inner nature. The new man can now live to newness and fullness of life. The spirit is ever working, always working to transform us each and every day more into the image of God. We cannot do this on our own. It is the gift that we are given, the promise that we are given. He says, return to me and I will come to you with mercy. And as I come in mercy, I will dwell with you. I will transform you. My presence will be active among you. He has promised us his mercy and his presence. And this should be a great comfort for us still, even today. We have to understand our condition before God, particularly our condition before God apart from Christ. We are helpless sinners. There is nothing we can do to pull ourselves from this hopeless uh, pit of agony and death. That is our condition. We are in need of something, something to save us, something that we cannot do on our own. And in our hour of need, as we come before him, as we bow the knee, we can know with a certainty that as we come and we say, Jesus, I need you, his response to us is to give us mercy and to give us his presence. Do you know this mercy? Do you know this presence? If you have called upon it, then you need to rest and dwell and marinate in it. It's just an interesting word to marinate something, right? And you think about meat. If you're going to cook meat on the stove or on the grill or whatever, and you marinate it, what, is, what does that mean to do? So you take spices, uh, maybe it's a, just spices, or maybe there's some sort of liquid with it, and you just let it sit there, and the flavors go all into the meat. Am I making you hungry? Yep. Yeah, a little bit. I know Jim Sparks was thinking about lamb. <laughs> It's all in the meat, and we have to let the Holy Spirit just marinate in us so that we take on the flavors of the Spirit so that we are representing those flavors so that when the watching world comes, they say, I see the marks of what and who you are. We have to allow him to dwell in us. We, as Paul says, are the temple of the living God. If someone came and said, let me consider this person, would they know that we are the temple of the living God. To say that the spirit is in us is to say that he is what we need. He is like an organ to us. We cannot function as we are to function if we don't have a heart, if we don't have lungs, if we don't have livers and kidneys, we need them. And when we fail to have them, what happens? We fail to be. We, we die, right? We need these things in just the same for the Christian. We need the spirit in us working in and through us. This is the first two promises, his mercy and his presence. 
But this is not it. This is not the end of his promises. He says, you return to me. Not only will I give you mercy, not only will I give you my presence, but he says, I'm going to build and I'm going to bless you. He says, I will, my house shall be built in Jerusalem and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. My city shall again overflow with prosperity. There's two things going on here. First, he says to build. What does it mean to build? And, and, the, and the imagery he uses here is that of a measuring line. And you think of a measuring line, and you might, you might stretch out a measuring line like if you've ever seen a, a roof being done, and they take the chalk lines and they pop them. And the, the, the notion is then that we can, from here, we can build up the shingles up to the, to the roof of the house, and we can have it all straight and right. And he says this measuring line is going to be stretched out all over Jerusalem, not just part of the city, not just in the temple, but throughout the whole of the city. He's going to build the city up. And this is the same plan that he has for his people. He is building them up. He has a pattern in mind for how he is going to build the Christian. He is concerned with our character, our thought life, our desires, our affections. He has a Christ-conforming construction plan for your life. He's installed in each of us gifts. And he's building up those gifts in us. And then he takes those gifts and he uses those gifts to build up those around us. To strengthen us in truth and in knowledge. And this plan was even before we were born. We see if we go to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we come before the Lord, we should expect to be built up in him. And as he builds us up, then he says, as I build you up, I will bless you. He says, my cities will overflow with prosperity. He has promised to us the blessing of prosperity. Well, what does this mean? Does this mean that once you're a Christian, it's a it's a ticket to wealth? <laughs> no. This is not the kind of prosperity that God is concerned with. It's not about material blessings. It's about being made rich in all manner of different ways of loyal friendships, of useful service. He's going to use you in his kingdom. He's going to give you, Lord willing, healthy marriages, strong character. He's going to provide for each of our needs so that we can exceed in whatever he would have us do. In all his kingdom work, he will comfort us. He will bless us with the knowledge of God's favor upon each of us. He says here, he will once again choose Jerusalem. I will return to Jerusalem. What is he saying here? To once again come to Jerusalem. Does this mean that he chose them and then disregarded them and then later chose them again? No. What he's saying here is I'm going to um, once again make known my benefits among the people. They were always his people. 
but they had been in rebellion and in their time of chastisement. His blessings had been removed from them. And this is true for us as well as we come and we are living in sin and we fail to come again to him. We at times can feel like God is far removed from us. But he says, return to me and I will bless you and I will build you. I think it's easy, an easy uh, comparison for this would be the prodigal son. You remember that in the Gospels and the son who took all, he said, I want my inheritance and he went and he squandered it and he lived, he ended up among the pigs and he returned to his father's house. If I can at least be a servant in my father's house and how does the father receive this son? Oh, he, he throws a banquet. He kills the fatted calf. He puts his robe over him. He accepts him with gracious and open arms and he blesses him. And our father too waits for us with open arms, wanting and longing to embrace us. We are his building. We are his, his craftsmanship. We are being crafted by him. And so our fixtures and our infrastructure must represent the one who is building us. Your foundation of your building must be Christ. We have, are to have walls that are abounding in love, lights that show forth our faith. Are you being built in him so that if someone comes and observes you, they know what they're observing? If you go into a hospital, you expect to see certain things just from the way it looks. If you go into a restaurant, you expect to see certain things. I don't think this is hard for us to understand. When someone looks at the Christian, they are to see certain things. Do people see Christ being built up in you? Do they see the blessings of Christ? Are you resting in those blessings? Or are you continuing to live in rebellion? Return to him. Receive his blessings. The fifth and the final promise is that of protection. Last week we, or I, I told you that the, the first six Chapters of Zechariah are filled with eight visions. We looked at the first vision last week, and here in the last promise, uh, we see the second vision. And we begin, as, it, as happens with visions, we see some bizarre imagery. What is going on here with these four horns and these four craftsmen? What's going on here? Well, horns... I think are being representative of horned creatures. When you think about, particularly in their time, if you put yourself in their, their mindset, horned creatures tend to be the most powerful creatures. So you think about bulls or oxen. Those things with horns are powerful. They have the power to do mighty things. And we see here from the text that the horns are the ones who are doing the oppressing. I think the four, and this is, a bit of a stretch, but not necessarily too big of a stretch. We don't need to make too big about on it. Uh, Maybe considered, uh, you think of the four cardinal directions and how this is basically saying that all of the earth is oppressing the people. 
of God. Yes, God may show mercy upon us. Yes, his spirit may dwell in us. Yes, he may build and bless us. But there's still the problem of the world around us that's seeking to destroy us and bring us low. Certainly this was true in the time of Zechariah. They had brought Judah low. They had gone through the exile. They had exiled uh, the people. They had persecuted them. They had killed them. And so even as Zechariah is saying these words, return to me, they may say, yes, but look at the powers of the world around us. And he says, look, these powers, these horns, these people who think they are powerful, I will bring them low. They will be defeated. These are the craftsmen he's talking about. The Lord, in verse 20, says, The Lord showed me four craftsmen. These are those who come in with hammers and chisels and can demolish the horns, remove them, so they are unable to persecute the people. Now, you think of if you, I don't know exactly the, how, how they do it. I imagine today it's with a grinder. But a lot of people who raise bulls now, they'll cut off their horns, make them flat so they don't, don't have to deal with them, right? Because if you get stuck by a bull who's got big pointy horns, it doesn't feel good, right? It hurts. And so a lot of ranchers will just cut them off, make them flat. And when you cut off a horn and make it flat, he may still bucket you, but he's been, the real threat has been removed. And this is what it's being talked about here. God will be able to answer every threat against his people. He has the power to overthrow any enemy. And so when heresies arise in the church, he raises up those who will teach truth. When oppression rises up, he uses the blood of the martyrs, as we've seen, uh, as the seed of the church. God's word, the Bible, is our ever-sufficient weapon in battle. And so he says, I will protect you. I will make things right for you. And we have to remember, we can't make it right. The church can't make it right. No minister nor sacrament can make it right. Only God can make it right. And as he makes it right, he will protect you. He has the power uh, to save you. And this comes through Jesus Christ, the ultimate protection for his people. Now, you may at this point say, well, this is very true, and I I agree with what you're saying, but it's a little far-fetched for you to say that Zechariah is talking about Jesus. And yet, if we go throughout Scripture, we see the same principles. Paul in Romans 8, 1 says this, "Therefore Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they have received his mercy. He continues in chapter 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, you have received mercy and you have received his indwelling spirit. Romans 8, 28, and we we now know that those who love God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, because he's building us up. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how much more will he graciously give us all things? He is blessing us. Paul teaches us the exact same thing, that he's giving us mercy, his spirit. He's building, he's blessing us. 
And then this beautiful truth in Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for you. And why is this true? Because he is protecting you. He is watching over you even as there are those who suffer persecution to the point of death. He is watching over you. The salvation offered in Zechariah is the same salvation that is offered to you today. Will you come to God through Christ? If you've strayed, will you come back to him? Will you return to him? Will you receive his mercy? Will you allow him to build his house in you? And if you do so, he will bless you. He will protect you. What we cannot make right, and there are many things in this world we cannot make right. Each of us can think of broken relationships, broken friendships, we can think of hurts and losses that at times can be too much to bear, and yet he can make these all right. And ultimately, the most, the ultimate broken relationship, that between us and the God of the universe, he has made that right as well. He has promised you many things mercy, his presence to build, to bless, and to protect. All these things he's promised to you. And to receive them, you must do one simple thing. You don't have to work real hard. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be strong enough. None of these things. He says, turn to me or return to me and I will turn to you I will return to you this is something by the end of Zechariah that I hope you get tired of hearing but it is a great and it's a beautiful truth turn to him and he will turn to you it, we cannot stress this too much apart from this apart from this beautiful truth there is no life there is only suffering. There is only loss. The world will seek to hurt you. They will ridicule and persecute you. But you must remember that as you turn to him, as you return to him, you have a God who is protecting you, who is securing for you eternal life. This is, about what, this is what we're about to come do right here. This body, this bread, this, this juice, we're remembering how Jesus Christ secured for us this 
that it's not about our own strength, but it's about his strength, about his body broken, about his blood poured out for us so that we can be reconciled to our God in heaven. How wonderful and how joyful is that? You think about the mindset of the, of the people here in Zechariah for 70 years. In, in our mindset, a lot of times that is uh, just about a lifetime for 70 years. They've been persecuted by all the nations, by Babylon, by Persia, by all these nations. And they are subject to the rulers and the whims. And they're in Jerusalem. The walls are not yet rebuilt. The temple is not yet rebuilt. They're still being attacked and they're disheartened. And Zechariah says, you have one who seeks to love you. Last week we looked at this angel of the Lord who cries out for his people. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ cries out for you today. Will you come? Will you come in faith? Will you come in repentance? Will you come and surrender your life to him? The gospel is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because the gospel says to us, it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It is freeing. It is liberating. I hope that each of you here truly knows this truth. And if you don't, come talk to me. Come talk to Alan or Wally or anyone else here. Come talk to him and say, I'm not sure. But I want to know because it is of the utmost importance. Return to him or turn to him for the first time. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for these beautiful and wonderful promises. That you are with us, that you love us, and that you are protecting us. Lord, forgive us as we fail to remember, as we live our lives as if it is not true. Enable us through the working of your spirit to return. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.